0: other things I just want to mention too in terms of announcements. Uh, man, we tied into it yesterday at the Annex. That was awesome. So uh thank you everybody for uh, your help. And uh, there was like uh, 1,300 pounds of metal at the dump <laughs> to go and different things. Uh It was really good. So we got that kind of room stripped down. And uh, our plan is this. Next. So we're going to do work bees each Saturday for the month of November as we try and get that place uh, facelifted, the Basement of the Annex. And so next week uh, is this uh, subfloor at the entrance. That's going to be at 8.30. And uh, Alan's going to be running the show on that. He's not here this morning, is he? No, okay. But uh, Alan was hoping to just have uh, three guys probably with him so we're not too crowded in there for that at 8.30. And then everybody else, we're going to say 9.30. And what we're going to do is prep all the walls and everything for paint. So the kitchen, the rooms, uh, the big room, you know, patching and mud in and getting everything ready for paint. And then the following week, hopefully we'll paint. And the following week, hopefully we'll get flooring in, okay? So that's the game plan. So next Saturday, we'd love to have you come and serve. And it was great. So many folks picking up different stuff. And then also just want to mention, it's boomers. It always like slips up on us, but it's this week, okay, as boomers brunch, our seniors luncheon on Tuesday at noon. So uh, potluck luncheon. And uh, so I invite you out to that. And then the other thing is this, is, uh, hey, just wanted to say uh, thanks to everybody for uh, your love during Pastors Appreciation Month. And uh, just on behalf of uh, Blake and Jess and Greg and Dion and Lisa and myself, it's just a privilege to serve in this church. And you guys, uh, you love us well, so thank you. And uh, yeah, sweet. Okay, got your Bibles? Let's go. Second Samuel chapter 6. And let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you. Uh, It's been really fun going through 2 Samuel, and we're coming to some neat parts in the story of David, the people of Israel, and your history with them. And Lord, we we pray, God, that you'd just unfold the pages of Scripture to our hearts and minds this morning, that we'd be transformed, that we'd be led towards you, Jesus. That's Our desire. That's why we love the written word because it leads us to you, Jesus, the living word. And so, Lord, would you uh, bless this time? uh, Just take the word of God and apply it to each heart, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 6. In recent weeks, we've been looking just at these different accounts from the death of Saul to the rise of David to the throne of, of Judah, and then how the entire a nation of Israel was brought under his leadership, and part of his action in unifying the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes involved the establishment of a new capital city. So, Jerusalem was that city. David won it from the hands of the Jebusites, and it became the capital of Israel, known as the city of David. And in his heart, David also had more vision. Uh, he envisioned uh, the unifying of the nation, not just around you know a political capital, but around the worship of the Lord, and so with a capital city established, it was time to bring the centerpiece of God's presence amongst uh, the children of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, into a new home. And so, you know, personally, we know this about David. It's like one of the things we love about him is that he loved the presence of the Lord. So. To bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem was personally a great choice for him, but it was also a, an awesome choice for the, the nation uh, to place the Lord at the center of everything happening. And so Jerusalem was not going to just be a political capital, the throne of David. It was also going to be the center of Israel's worship life, the center of their uh, worship of the Lord. And so the throne of God needed to be brought to the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, let's just remember a little bit about this because we haven't talked about this thing for quite a while. I mean, all the way back to early First Samuel, the Ark has not been mentioned. The Ark of the Covenant was to be kept in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, but for many years, it had not been in that place. In fact, for decades. The city of Shiloh, where the tabernacle it had existed, had been defeated at the hands of the Philistines and long before that had even happened during the days of the priest Eli the ark had been taken into battle against the Philistines remember this the the Israelites had soundly been defeated at the hands of the Philistines and so they regrouped after the humiliating defeat and they never sought the lord But instead they did this, they brought out his throne, the Ark of the Covenant from the Holy of Holies, from the tabernacle. It was like their good luck charm as they went off into war again, their lucky rabbit's foot, hoping for some better luck. They took the Ark of the Covenant and it was carried out onto the battlefield. And once again, Israel gets soundly defeated. The the Philistines just handed to them And it's a more humiliating defeat than the first one. And worst off, we know this, the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. And so for nine months, the the Ark was in the possession of the Philistines. And during that time, the hand of the Lord was very heavy against the Philistine people. A sickness broke out amongst them. Uh, They had plagues in their midst. And finally, when they came to their senses... They returned the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, pulled by two cows, and they sent it back to the children of Israel. And the Ark first came to uh, the village of Beshemesh, and then it was taken to kiriath jerem and it was there guarded in the house of Abinadab for decades. Just kind of left alone, untouched in that house, and it was never returned to the tabernacle in Shiloh. It was never returned to where it belonged, in the Holy of Holies. And the Bible tells us that the Lord blessed the house of Abinadab. And while his house was blessed, in the meantime, the children of Israel, the tribes, mourned after the presence of God. And so eventually, Saul becomes king. And under his kingship, nothing is ever done with the Ark of the Covenant. It is left there in Kiriath-Jerim the whole time in the house of Abinadab. Because Saul didn't have a heart for God. He was a man, when we've talked about Saul, we've seen this about him, he was a man who feared men rather than God. He was more concerned about how people perceived him than he was about his pursuit of the Lord. He was a man of the flesh. And the fear of man, the Bible says this, that the fear of man is a snare, and Saul was trapped in that snare. And the ark, the throne of God, was neglected. Now, the ark, uh, I, I love talking about the ark. It's an amazing piece of furniture from the Holy of Holies. The ark had been constructed under the leadership of Moses, directed by the Lord. It was a wooden box made of acacia wood. Inside and out, it was overlaid with gold. It had four rings on the outside of it where the a specific clan from the tribe of the Levites was to... Uh, insert poles that allowed them to carry the Ark of the Covenant whenever it was to be transported on their shoulders. And then placed inside this Ark was uh, the Ten Commandments, the tablets that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai. Also in there was a jar with a sample of the manna that the Lord had sustained the children of Israel during their wanderings. That jar was inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then also in there was a branch that had miraculously grown off the staff of the high priest Aaron and had produced buds and almonds overnight. So in there, these these three items. And then on top of the Ark of the Covenant was this uh, lid that was made of solid gold, and it was called the mercy seat. Fashioned on it were two cherubim angels And it was the throne of God, the the wings of these angels, these cherubim were outstretched and under their wings or between their wings, the Shekinah presence of God, the glory of God was visible to be seen. And so the Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. It was where the glory of God resided amongst the people, the children of Israel. And when the Ark was housed in the Holy of Holies, we know this, that once a year, the high priest on the day of atonement would get to enter into the Holy of Holies and he would come with blood. He would come with the blood of the sacrifice and it would be poured out on top of the mercy seat. And that's why it was called the mercy seat because the mercy seat was between the presence of God and the commandments of God. And their blood would be placed and the Lord would outpour mercy and grace between uh, himself and his people There would be blood between the Shekinah glory and the Ten Commandments below. And it was all, it is all a foreshadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of the sacrifice would atone for the people's failings. The blood of the sacrifice would atone for the people's falling short from obeying the commands of the Lord. Because the Bible tells us this, that sin cannot be atoned for without the shedding of blood. It's life for life. The wages of sin is death. So to be redeemed, there has to be, to be redeemed from sin, there has to be a sacrificial atonement. To redeem a life, another life has to be taken, die in its place. And so when the blood was presented in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God, Mercy was poured out to the people of God and God had grace on his people. The beauty of that is this, that the Bible tells us that we know this, that in in the mercy of God, even the most vilest of sinners can find grace. Isn't that awesome? can find forgiveness and hope. At that throne, you know, spiritually speaking, the dead come alive and the blind see. But what had happened amongst the children of Israel was this, is that for decades... The throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant had been neglected. King Saul didn't care. He was more concerned about himself than the presence of God. But now, there's a new sheriff in town, okay? The giant slayer. The Lord's anointed, the man after God's own heart, and David cared about the presence of the Lord. It mattered to him. David longed personally for the presence of God, David didn't want distance between himself and the presence of the Lord. He knew that if the nation of Israel was to be a healthy people, the worship of Yahweh had to be central to their existence. Had to be central both to their religious and their political life. And so in his heart, he decided this. It was time to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim and to bring it 16 kilometers to the city of Jerusalem. This is where we pick it up. Verse one, it says this. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned, on the cherubim. Now, kiriath Jerem, the scripture tells us that name in other places, is, was formerly called what we read here, Baal-Judah, because it had been the center of Baal-worship amongst the tribe of Judah. It's crazy that this is where the presence of God had ended up. Now, this is a big deal. Like, this is not a small operation with a few people. This is a parade that involves tens of thousands, and I want you to catch this this morning. If you're just picturing you know, the Ark of the Covenant being brought to Jerusalem and you know, a few dozen people participating, it's a nice little side thing. In your mind's eye, you have the wrong picture. Totally. This was not a little celebration. This was a national event. And it involved every person of significance in the kingdom of David. There were no holds barred no expense spared this is a no expense spared parade to bring the ark of the covenant which is called by the name of the lord of hosts who sits between the enthroned on the cherubim to jerusalem this was a celebration to say this as a nation we are no longer keeping god on the shelf we are moving yahweh to his rightful place He will be at the center of our lives and of our existence and at the center of our worship. No longer does God get a passenger seat. No longer does he get the back row seat. He gets the driver's seat. He's in charge. We don't live under the fear of man. This is the heart of Israel. We are not going to live under the fear of man. We are making God the center. Yahweh gets his place. And this is exciting stuff. I mean... This, to me, as you read this, this is like the inception of a revival, a national revival. Now, verse 3, And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. So the ark is taken from the house. When well, we read, it's set on a cart. Attached to that cart is two oxen that are pulling it. Similar in fashion to how the Philistines had returned the Ark of the Covenant to Israel when it had been in their possession. Now let's read on verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. This is exciting stuff. With songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. The music celebration was over the top. I mean, we know this about David. I mean, David was a worshiper of the Lord. So he made sure the music was just over the top on this day. Notice this. It's just kind of interesting, all the instruments. They're all like played by hand. You got cymbals that are crashing, and you get uh, tambourines being banged and rattled, and castanets, lyres, harps, all these stringed instruments. And uh, it's interesting that there's no wind instruments. I just want to point this out to you. There's no wind instruments here. There's no trumpets, no horns. No, it's all these things that are crashing, banging, strings being played, and they raise their voices and song. I mean, this is a worship parade. If you've ever been a part of, like, we've never been a part of anything like what it down this day. Number six. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, which happens to rhyme with bacon, when they came to the threshing floor of I can't even say it right. Nakon, because I just think bacon. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And I think, wow, it's one way to kill a worship service. Uh, came to a dead stop. No. Not buying? No? Okay. You know, again, in our minds, eye, as we picture this, this massive worship parade with the Ark of the Covenant leading the way, resting on this cart, pulled by oxen, and here the oxen uh, stumble, and I guess the cart shifts some way, somehow, and potentially the Ark's about to slide off or slip off there, and Uzzah reaches out his hand, and he takes hold of the Ark. Almost to me sounds like an instinctual action to just make sure that it's protected. Uh, But he did this. He lay hold of the Ark of the Covenant without sacrificial atonement. There was no blood. A human hand touched the throne of God and no blood was present. And God struck him down. And Uzzah died right there. Right there, while leading the parade, he died beside the Ark of the Covenant. And it's shocking. I mean, it's like you read this and you're like, wow, this, uh, this like, started out really good. This is not what David expected. This was not the intentions of his heart. It's not what anybody expected. This was supposed to be all joy. This was supposed to be all good. Getting the centerpiece of worship back where it belonged in the spot where it was to be, having Yahweh at the center of the nation. And every time I read this, I find it like interesting that it's like that it all went down at a threshing floor. A threshing floor is a place where when the wheat was harvested, it was brought and there it was thrashed. And then the wheat was taken with a pitchfork and it was tossed into the air. It was always a windy spot, a high place. And there the wind would take the chaff and blow it away and the good kernel seeds, the the seeds of wheat would drop, kernels of wheat would drop to the ground and the wheat and the chaff would be separated at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place of separation. Uh, and, and, And there, that which is valuable is taken and it's separated from that which is going to be burned, the chaff. And the scripture uses that image in other places to illustrate God's judgment. It doesn't feel like it when we read it, but we have to stop and recognize that Uzzah, I called it instinctual, but look at this is a presumptuous sin when it comes to the presence of God, actually. This was not an accident. Every Israelite knew that the Ark of the Covenant was which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, where the presence of God dwelt, was a holy object. They knew it was not to be touched. There is part of Uzzah's action to me that assumes that that man needs to defend or protect or safeguard God. But God is holy. Yahweh is dangerous. The rules for approaching him and dealing with his presence had not changed from the time of Moses to the time of David. And and to me, as we read this, this is the culmination of a number of missteps that ignored the commands of God. First off, the ark wasn't supposed to be set on a cart. The ark wasn't supposed to be pulled by oxen. God had given very clear instruction that when the ark was moved, it was only to be moved by a particular dedicated clan amongst the Levites. They were to carry the ark on poles with those poles resting on their shoulders. There were a number of covers that were to go over the ark because they were to be placed over the ark to to protect men from gazing on the holiness of God. The glory of God. No one was to touch it. This was not just a religious object, the, the Ark of the Covenant. This was the dwelling place of God with Israel. And His holiness demanded that He be approached the right way. And so David, you know, however sincere David was, however sincere all Israel was in their desire... To make God central in the nation, the reality was they were not doing things according to God's clear instruction. It was presumptuous. It was presumption with a holy God, and Uzziah, Uzzah, sorry, died for it. And to me, as I read this, this was a reminder, it was a lesson to David, a lesson to all Israel that God is not to be trifled with. Yes, put him at the center, but know this, he's dangerous. He is loving, but he is still dangerous. Look at verse 8. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. This is interesting because in 2 Samuel chapter 5 last week, when we read about David winning these battles against the Philistines, David uh, sought the Lord. The Lord directed him, told him how to go into battle. And David, after the victory against the Philistines, named the place, the Lord is breaking out against them. And here is the play on words, the, the same name, the Lord broke out against Uzzah. He burst forth against Uzzah. Now verse nine. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. It's interesting. If you got a pen, you should underline this. In verse 8, it tells us this, that David was angry against the Lord. And then verse 9, it tells us, and David was afraid of the Lord. He was angry and he was afraid. It wasn't one or the other. It was both when he thought about the Lord and all that had gone on here. Angry because the Lord broke out. David thought, you know, in my mind, I think this. It's like David thought he could put God into his own little box. That he could have Yahweh, the living God, on a leash. And do whatever he thought. He presumed that God was somehow obligated to him. Obligated to Israel. And David and Israel got a serious lesson on the holiness of God. And it made him angry. People get angry about the holiness of God. People get angry about the holiness of God. It's interesting to think about that. You know, we love to hear that God is love, that God is merciful, that God is gracious. The the message that God loves us is very clear. I mean, it is not in question. It is not in question. I, I would just say this to you. If you have any doubt in your heart or mind whatsoever about God's love for you, let me just remind you and affirm to you that God loves you and he cares about you. In fact, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the father's greatest expression of love that he could possibly ever communicate to you. If there is one thing that you should be able to settle in your heart completely holy it is this that god loves you amen but in that you cannot assume somehow that that provides you with a blank check that you get to live or act towards the lord god however you want that you get to set the rules god sets the rules in his holiness, he cannot be approached however you would presumptuously assume. You get it wrong and it'll cost you your life. It's, it's not like he doesn't make this clear in his word. He sent his one and only son. And the one and only son said this, no one comes to the father except through me. I am the way, the truth and the life. And all Israel got a serious reminder of God's holiness when they transported that ark during their worship parade. And though David was angry, he was also afraid. And the result was this he was unwilling to take the ark to Jerusalem. I mean, what if the Lord broke out against him and his household? What if the Lord broke out against the whole city? Let's read on, verse 11. It says this, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Giddite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. This is an incredible contrast now in this story. It's like crazy. The Lord breaks out over here, and he blesses over here. Uzzah died. Obed-Edom was blessed. Not just him. His whole household was blessed by the presence of God. And it was tangible, and it was observable, and people could see the blessing of God on this man's house. Which is, you know, interesting to me because it's like, man, it was, it was literally tangible and observable on his life. That's why, you know, when I, when I think about it, I'm like, the presence of God is a very magnetic, attractive thing, don't you think? When you get around someone who just loves the Lord and the blessing of God is upon their life, It's attractive. You get around the Lord, the the Lord's presence is, it draws you in. And you think about the Lord that, that he's so holy that it could mean your very death, and yet his presence brings such blessing that you want to be around him. Though David was angry and afraid, He saw what was going on in Obed-Edom's house, and he was righteously jealous of what this man was experiencing in his home. And it made David hunger after the presence of God. What I find interesting is Obed-Edom was a Giddite. That means he was from Gath, from Philistine territory. He was a Gentile. And the Ark of the Covenant ends up in his home, and I think it's crazy because... What's cool about Obed-Edom is you'll define his name all over in the genealogies. In fact, him and his sons became gatekeepers at the temple of the Lord. It's amazing. A Gentile, and he was blessed. Now, verse 12. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom so that, and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So second time round, big parade all over again. Get everybody together, thousands. And David... And the children of Israel do this. They recognize that they had approached the Lord in their own presumptions. And so now they say, we got to do it according to God's word. So David gathered the Levites. Chronicles tells us the story in more details. There was no cart. There was no oxen. The Levites, as the scripture commanded, inserted the poles into the Ark of the Covenant and they carried it on their shoulders. And once again, there was joy joy and a massive parade, but this time it was even better because they were not presuming upon the Lord. Once they were ready to move that ark, they took six steps, and they sacrificed the ox. That's the right place for the ox, on the altar, not in front of the ark. That's the right place for you as well, on the altar. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. So they took six steps, the ox was sacrificed. I love this. They're, they're checking in with the Lord. They're saying, Lord, what are we doing? Is this okay? Is your blessing on this, Lord? Are you behind these actions? In six days, the Lord created the earth, and the seventh day he rested. The word says, man shall work six days and rest on the seventh. Six is the number of men. They took six steps, and then they sacrificed to the Lord to ensure his blessing was on all that was about to happen. No presumptions. and the Lord blessed them. This was his plan, His purpose, His presence, his throne, his people, His holiness. and He blessed them. And the worship was different. The string instruments played with human hands were set aside. This time they worshipped the Lord with wind instruments. interesting. The, the horns came out, the trumpets. They rely on breath. I like that. Because this was not a work of human hands. Now this was a work of the spirit. The breath of God, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, wearing a linen ephod. We we say this, that that David danced naked before the Lord. And thankfully, we don't implement that. You know, that would not be good here. I don't want to see that. We don't want to have to have the elders carry you out or anything like that. But no, no, we say this, but look at what we actually read here. David wasn't naked. He was wearing a linen ephod. And what he had done is this. David had stripped himself and he had removed the garment. He removed the robe that identified him as the king of Israel. This is important. This was an act of humility before the Lord. His word of God says that the Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That day, David, before the people of Israel, whom he was their leader and before his God, he removed his royal robes and he ascribed all his worship with all of his might to the one true king. So I'm not the king. You're the king, Lord. In a linen ephod, David was, you know, in a sense, just like, Any other person, just just like any other worshiper in the crowd, and he was giving all the glory to God because he was saying, Lord, this isn't about me. It's about you. This is important when it comes to worship, isn't it, church? Worship is not about us. Worship is about the king. We just give to him that which already belongs to him. I actually think this is like, this is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. A heart of humility that goes all out in worship. A heart of humility that goes all out in worship is pleasing to the Lord. But as we read on, there was someone who wasn't pleased as they saw all this. Look at verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him. In her heart, Michael, apart from the description of her here, was not just the daughter of Saul. She was also the wife of David, the wife of the king. His first love, in fact. He had loved her enough that when she was given to another man, when he fled from Saul and she was given to another man, when he became king, he took her back to himself. And we read here that when she saw him worshiping, she despised him in her heart. The heart can do some wicked things, can't it? It's like, there's lots of appearances that you and I can have, and there can be a lot of wickedness inside the heart that no one else sees or knows about. She despised him in her heart. You know, your heart actually exposes more about you than it does other people. You know, we can all relate to Michael. I can relate to Michael. I read this and I'm like, you know, we know what our own hearts are capable of. We know what our own hearts think of other people and the conclusions that they come to. And this actually, to me, says way more about Michael than it does about David. This is why she's described as the daughter of Saul rather than the wife of the king. She was her father's daughter. Just like her father, she was more concerned about the opinions of men, more concerned about keeping up appearances, more concerned about her reputation than she was the opinion of the Lord. Michael feared the perception of people. Just like her father, who was a man of the flesh, the things of the flesh to Michael were of greater concern. In the worship of God. And, and it, to me, it's just like a reminder that we have to guard our hearts so that we're not like Michael, so that we're not like King Saul. And the way to do that is this. You have to be like David. You strip yourself of all the things that fill you with pride, and you lay them down before the Lord. You get naked, so to speak. And it makes me just think this, like, and I want to ask this, what is it for you? What is it from you that you need to remove from your life that fills you with pride? It needs to be laid down before the Lord. Again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 17, it says this, and they brought in the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I mean, the party just went on. The sacrifices continued, and they worshiped the Lord. And I love that there's peace offerings made here. So Nobody's died. It's just peace between God and his people. Now, verse 18. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. I mean, this was a day of rejoicing. It's pretty awesome, right? Such a great day that the ark of God had been brought to a new home, brought to the capital city of Jerusalem. God had blessed David, and David the king, in return, blessed the people of God. He literally provides them with food and says, go home and celebrate with your families. Go home and have a feast and celebrate. And I I love this because he gives them a cake of raisins. And I just want to tell you what that's all about. That's for the bedroom, by the way, if you didn't know that in Hebrew culture. (laughs) Like nine months after this day, there was a baby boom in Israel. This is what's going on. Literally, he is saying, go home and celebrate before the Lord and with your family and celebrate with your wife the goodness of Yahweh. So we have a cake of raisins for each one of you on the way out today. (laughs) Verse 20. (laughs) (laughs) And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said... How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Wow, it's crazy, isn't it? You read this? We love these lines from David. I'll celebrate before the Lord. I'll be abased in the eyes of men. I will make myself more contemptible than this, but by those who understand and know, I will be held in honor for my worship of the Lord. And here's the contrast. Michael's unfruitful, barren. Actually, I don't know if she's barren. The text doesn't tell us. I think that David probably just put her away, wasn't intimate with her for the rest of his life or her life. And really, I mean, this is part of God's plan. It's tragic you read this, but, you know, it was never part of God's plan. This, this ensured that no descendant of Saul would ever have a claim to the throne of Israel. It would only be descendants of David. Tragic for Michael. This is a great text. A great text. And so I think, hey, man, what, what do we take away? So I want to give you just two applications this morning. Okay, then we're going to come to the communion table. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. First one is this, having a heart for God does not mean you are perfect. (laughs) It means you're sensitive. You know, David blew it. He blew it bad. The whole nation blew it. Round one was a failure. All the attempts, all the sincerity of seeking to do it right, but it wasn't done according to God's word and the holiness of God broke out against Uzzah. And then David did this. He humbled himself. He learned from the failure. And he continued to seek the presence of God and he figured out how to approach the right way. Look, to be a man or woman after the heart of God doesn't mean you have to be perfect. David was far from perfect, but David was sensitive. He longed for the presence of God. That's what you need to be. That's what I need to be sensitive to say, Lord, I want your presence. I want you at the center. I want you in the driver's seat. Let's get this right, Lord. Second thing I want to just remind you of is this, is that if you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he promises in his word, he will lift you up. He will bless you with his presence. And I love this because fruitfulness comes from his presence. Spiritual fruitfulness and blessing in our lives comes from the presence of God. Amen? And so we humble ourselves. We remove the things from our lives that are the sources of pride. We put them in their place. For David, it meant this. He took off his robe as a king. Again, let me ask you this. How would the Lord be calling you to humble yourself before him? I'm so thankful for the mercy seat, aren't you? I'm thankful that there is a place where we can go for mercy. It's not an ark of the covenant that we go to. We go to the cross, don't we? Where the blood of Jesus was poured out for us, where the one and only Son who is the way, the truth, and the life made a way so that we can approach the Father, so that we can experience the presence of God, so that the Holy Spirit can live in us, so that we can be forgiven of our sin. God is holy, and He is dangerous, but God loves you. And in His Son, Jesus, He made a way. And this morning, we're going to celebrate that and remember that by participating in the Lord's Supper. And just a